You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 293. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. Welcome, everyone. Welcome. You have reached another Local Maximum. Today, joined once again by Aaron. How are you doing today, Aaron? Doing well. Glad to yes. be here. Very Another late night recording. Not quite one in the morning, although it feels like one in the morning for me. You scared uh, but, me for a moment. I, yes. I got stuff to do after this. Yeah, yeah. Time, time does fly. Okay. Well, well, we'll, we'll, we'll move ahead quickly. Do you think we will ever achieve the dream of a twenty-minute episode? I, I'm, I'm not holding my breath for it. <laughs> okay. Well, today's theme, uh, today's episode, has a clear theme to it. Uh, it's, a, it's. I would say the Twitter rant episode. Uh, so I've got two. Twitter rants, and then I've got a probability distribution of the week, which I now, now, I say is like a Twitter rant. Are we still calling it Twitter and tweets, or or no? Well, we are, but it, it's not <laughs> called that anymore. It's is now is called this going to be like people, myself included, have not started calling it Meta? We're still calling it Facebook. It's, yes, it's always going to well, be Twitter in our hearts, uh, right? Whether those are warm, well, or dark, stony places. The di- the difference is it's still Facebook.com, and it's still Facebook the service for Twitter. It's still Twitter.com, but it's not called the service anymore. It's still, it's mm. called X. And so maybe at some point, if you go to Twitter.com, it'll just forward to like X something or X.co or something like that. So I don't, I, I, that hasn't happened yet. Once that happens regularly and I'm not actually typing in Twitter to get to Twitter, like look at our links are still Twitter. Yep. So, yep. so it, it, that, then I think at, at some well, point we'll have to start switching. And it certainly seems down. like Musk has the vision of, of, Twitter uh, or, or X nay Twitter uh, becoming a company that does much more than just the the uh, micro blogging platform that was its original purpose. Much in the way that Meta and Alphabet have uh, many different silos, but uh, n- none of them have renamed their uh, flagship product as as part of their corporate rebranding. So. Right, right. So first rant is about John Stewart, who we've talked about John Stewart in the Daily Show on this program. Before I don't remember exactly when. Now I want to look it up. We did we screw up the notes. I feel like it was brought up by him uh, starting his podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Let's see, let's see if I'm surprised we didn't do this during uh, during research. Uh, But (laughs) yes, okay, here it is, episode two hundred seven. Max returns with priors. And where is the information on John Stewart? um, discussion of political comedy and the return of po- John Stewart. Right. Well, that podcast didn't really go anywhere, did it? I mean, is um, is it still around? I I don't I, know I that don't, it's it's dis- it's had better staying power than Joe Biden's podcast. Uh, yeah. But but uh, my my impression is it's still around, but but I don't think it's taken the world yeah. by storm. Interestingly, episode two hundred seven also has the first mention of rational distributions, which we'll talk about later today. So, oh, yeah. isn't that a, isn't that a great tie-in? All right, something about John Stewart and rational distributions is a connection there because when we talk about one, we talk about the other. So let's listen <laughs> to this Twitter rant. This one is by E O N Lenahan. Okay, let me actually uh, uh, read this guy's name. Uh, it is uh, uh, my slower computer, Doctor E O N Lenahan. He writes, 
John Stewart ruined a generation of truth-hungry kids. Those of us coming of age during 9-11 and war on Iraq were looking for anything outside of the MSN narrative spinning BS. He popularized mugging off to the camera, using pregnant pauses and mockery to infer obvious stupidity instead of interrogating the facts and engaging in informed rebuttal. The show is highly influential, but it left its viewers unable to discuss politics in a useful manner. He is, in no significant way, responsible for the smug and moralistic tone of many on the left today. He's also partly responsible for the attitude among many of them that anyone they disagree with is simply self-evidently stupid, no facts required. He specialized in mocking and caricaturing conservatives, a trend we now see come to full fruition with the casual labeling as Nazi or white supremacist of anyone. Uh, such people disagree with on even the most basic of social issues. That's his legacy in a time where a truth-hungry generation were desperately looking for someone to cut through the partisan MSN, mainstream media, BS. He molded them into smug, disingenuous, and lazy thinkers. That's according to someone who apparently calls himself a doctor but is an independent journalist. Uh, Okie dokie. All right, so I, I mean... Some of this is, 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 is right. I think it's interesting, but I don't think it's entirely fair because I think he's giving too much credit uh, to Jon Stewart to the development of the culture. I think the culture selected Jon Stewart for that particular time. And actually, that longer article that you posted in The Atlantic kind of shows why Jon Stewart came along at the time he did because you had kind of these, uh, a lot of these like well, faux partisan debates. Yeah. Just a correction. It's it's from the New Atlantis, not the Atlantic. Oh, uh, oh wow! Okay. At a glance, those look the same. Yes. Yeah. Uh, maybe is there like a like kind of a copycat syndrome there? There, there may in fact be like uh, yeah. like uh, you know. Oh God! God, what was it? Uh, the the company in uh, in Boiler Room that wasn't J.P. Morgan, but but sounded an awful lot like it. Anyway. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> All right. So um, yeah. So. I think they say that, you know, John Stewart came along at the time because there were kind of like all these fake debates on TV, not fake debates, but like, oh, there's going to be one person that is a Democrat, another person is Republican, and they're going to kind of like say their thing each night. And he was trying to kind of break the mold there. Um, the, the sort of like uh, snarky situation I, that was popular at the time. I, I mean, I used to find it hilarious. Now I kind of look back at some of it. It's not so much Jon Stewart stuff, um, but I'm thinking like some of the Daily Show, like man on the street stuff, where it's like, we're going to go on the street and make people look dumb. Um, you know, and, and the most extreme example for that is is Borat, which I, that's one of those things where I look back, I'm like, oh, why did we do that? You know, yeah, that, well, and, so. and, and, and the Daily Show certainly wasn't, the inventor of that no. that technique in that format, but uh, you could say that they brought it much more mainstream. That it used to be, um, and and you know, so we have to keep in mind where the Daily Show aired. It was on Comedy Central, and that was much more something that would have been in line for like some of their prank show type uh, type content, uh, right? But but this broke out of that market. Uh, people who wouldn't watch that kind of show or uh, or, or maybe they would watch that, but they certainly wouldn't share clips of that with, you know, colleagues and family members. It would be the type of thing that, you know, may, maybe it would get shared around the college dorm. But but this was going much further than this. It had much broader reach, uh, and and so he 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 took that and by maybe applying it to a uh, 
a different context uh, carried it a lot further. Right. Yeah. I also think, uh, you know, in his early stuff, he tried to be genuinely even handed um, and he was actually very funny. But what, what do we have today? Like all of the copies of the copies are just uh, incredibly partisan yeah, well, and, and bitter. And, and many of them Daily Show alumni. Yeah. I mean, yeah. much much like SNL, uh, you know, birthed many, many film franchises, uh, some which succeeded and some which didn't. Uh, yeah. The the Daily Show birthed uh, a whole slew of uh, news commentary slash comedy format shows, um, m- most of which I think have not been terribly successful. Um, I mean, the the biggest success would would have been Colbert, uh, and, right. and now his move on to the Late Show. Um, but that's he's he's kind of morphed into uh, the opposite direction, and and that's part of what what. Uh, the, the article about how, how John Stewart made Tucker Carlson was pointing at is, is that uh, he was almost simultaneously poking fun at the uh, taking themselves way too seriously news reporters who, who were uh, ripe for, for parody uh, yeah. as well as kind of the late night uh, talk show host, super chummy with their, their, their interview subjects uh, format. Um, yeah. And, and, and I don't think much of what's grown out of that has succeeded. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, it, it's but, almost but get, like, but go, go sorry, ahead. Go ahead. no, it's almost like, okay. If as the, um, uh, <laughs> it's not the Atlantic. I keep on, we should write down what it is. <laughs> the, uh, uh, the, um, the new Atlantis, as they say, if, if the, um, if uh, news opinion TV was so bland at the time, we now have the same situation with comedy or political comedy today. So it almost seems ripe for someone to to break out. Maybe someone should do a character based off the character, like a character based off of all of the uh, uh, um, Daily Show alumni. Just a, just spitballing here. The character of the character. I think it could work. <laughs> I think it could work. Uh, if, if, if you break the fourth wall too many times, you run out of walls. I, I, <laughs> I, I don't know. So, so two things you mentioned that, yeah. um, that, that, that caught my ear. Um, so, so one was, was, uh, that, that it wasn't so much that this was John Stewart's doing that, that he was just the, the man that, that the, 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 the culture selected for this. Um, mm-hmm. and, and that, that gets to, gets back to the whole, uh, you know, great man theory of history, or uh, or more of a uh, you know, uh, a, um, a Howian, uh, you know, fourth turning, uh, you know, mm-hmm. secular t- time marches on uh, approach to history, and 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 I think there's it's still very much an open debate on that. That you know, what, when when does the man matter, and when does the moment make the man? Um, but that's that's right. an interesting way of of couching this. Um, yeah. And, I had a second thought, and I've completely forgotten what it was. <laughs> that's okay. That's okay. Uh, one... Oh, I remember. It, yeah. So it, it was you, you said that you know when when we were younger, perhaps back in our college days, uh, Stuart and The Daily Show were a little bit more even-handed. Uh, that we thought they were funnier, and I'm I'm curious how true that is, and how much that is nostalgia and rose-colored glasses. Um, sure. I mean, I, I think there was always somewhat of a left of center lean. Oh yeah. Um, I, my recollection is is the same as yours that that he was much more willing or or able to to uh, to to poke at both sides and 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 maybe part of that was 
uh, a matter of who was in power uh, during those eras. Uh, you know, that that during during the Bush presidency, uh, th- there was a lot of opportunities to to take shots at uh, you know compassionate conservatism and and the neoconservative movement. Um, there's a uh, valid question to be made of, of, of whether he uh, pulled his punches a little bit in the follow-on administration. Uh, but but I, I, I'd be wary that, that we may be viewing the early days when we were younger and more naive and maybe more aligned with those views as, as being less yeah. contentious and less biased just because we, we were blind to it in the moment. Yeah, I, I mean, I... I don't think I was particularly aligned to his views, but I was like, oh, I could enjoy it. And so um, it's hard to do that today. I, I don't I've definitely like, you know, seen some older clips recently and it, they do hold up sometimes, but I'd have to do a little more research on that. Um, I was actually, you know, I've been watching John Wilson's How To. I don't know if you've seen that. It's on HBO. He basically, it it almost looks I mean, I know there's a lot of people involved in the production, but it almost looks like it's like one guy living like in a in a dinky apartment in New York, that going it's, around it's got filming an garbage. Homemade feel to it. Yeah, going around filming garbage and trying to narrate a story while he like you know kind of uh, uh, <laughs> kind of uh, tries to tell us about his subject, but he gets distracted and, and ends up in a completely different place. Um, but one of the funny, one of the interesting things about that show is how he ends up interviewing a lot of people who are really nutty, like real real kind of nutcase type people or people with like really niche interests that you wouldn't expect. And you're kind of laughing a little bit, but he actually like seems to treat them with a lot of respect. And so it's sort of like the opposite of what you would get with something like, like Borat or something in the 2000s where it's like, we're going to take the man on the street and then, you know, humiliate them for our own entertainment purposes, which I now see as like, uh, uh, not a particularly nice thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which, and then, you know, the people watching are like, Oh, all blah, blah, blah are stupid. Everyone who thinks blah, blah, blah is stupid, which is like, no, nah, that's actually not a very good argument. Well, yeah, there's, there's a sense that, that certainly in the latter half of, of Stewart's tenure at the daily show, um, when he would invite people on for interviews, either either directly with him or or much more so for the the uh, the correspondent segments, it was like, what did these people think? Like, how they must have realized that that both given the format and the ability for for these uh, correspondents to cut the interview however they want, that they are going to be made to look an ass. Like, <laughs> you you have yeah. to be a special kind of delusional, which which almost means that they deserve it. Uh, to think that you can, you can outshine and 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 you know, go into a a Daily Show segment interview and come out with the view you wanted to uh, to 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 project the the message you wanted to send out actually getting through rather than you being made to look a fool. Right, but I think a lot of people just didn't know what the Daily Show was, and they, you know, it'd be like people maybe, from maybe small early on, but it, early on, yeah. It, Especially with so so if if we're looking at a situation of you know senators or representatives, yeah. people who have staffers, staffers who are probably in you know recent right. college grads, somebody on their staff should have told them, "Hold up, man, this is a bad idea. Do not <laughs> go in that room." Yeah, yeah. And nobody did, which I, I I can't believe that they were that naive. But yeah, 
I, would, may, maybe I just have too high an opinion of our elected officials, which is yeah. something I did not anticipate saying going into this episode. It was a way to like be kind of <laughs> it, it was a way to be kind of like socially like, oh, this is the way to get someone. And I yeah, I now looking at that, it's it's not. not yeah, well, I mean, it's pe- pe- people yeah, uh, rag on on. Uh, Oh God! What's her name? Sarah Palin. Uh, right. Much of it with good reason. Uh, but but uh, I think she was the the one that coined the term the or at least popularized the gotcha media. Uh, yeah. And and uh, to an extent, the gotcha lamestream media was very much playing that game. He may yeah. not have invented it again, but uh, he he perfected that art. All right. Yeah, I don't have any. I don't have any resolution here. This is just a rant. So let's go on to the next one, which is a rant about Scrum at work. Have you ever used Scrum, Aaron? Uh, so, so not personally. Uh, I I know that we use uh, uh, my company uses Jira, uh, and I believe that sure. they do do sprints and possibly Scrum. Uh, but I'm not technically on the software team, so I am so one degree separated from all that. There manner. are certain things I like about Agile, but. Like Scrum seems to be like when you take it way too far and you have all these ceremonies and different things that you have to do uh, every every week, uh, and it's 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 basically like the the, the corporate the, the the many corporate rules to keep things going. So let's let's read this uh, let's read this rant. It's by uh, Santiago. He teaches machine learning. Okay, uh, he writes: Scrum is a cancer. I've been writing software for 25 years and nothing renders a software team useless like Scrum does. Some anecdotes. Number one, they tried to convince me that poker is a planning tool, not a game. Two, if you want to be more efficient, you must add process, not remove it. They had us attending, quote, ceremonies, a fancy name for a buttload of meetings, stand-ups, groomings, planning, retrospectives, and Scrum of Scrums. Oh, God, I remember the Scrum of Scrums. This was, by the way... This was wireless generation when I was there in the in the two thousands, and they were, they were big uh, into Scrum. Yeah, they were doing like agile Scrum, but they kept adding all, all they they added all these things, and some was good, some of it got like way over the top. Let's continue. Uh, we spent more time talking than doing. We prohibited laptops and meetings. We had to stand. We passed a ball around to keep everyone paying attention. We spent more time estimating story points than writing software. Story points measure complexity, not time, but we had to decide how many story points fit into a sprint two weeks. I had to use T-shirt sizes to estimate software. We, we measure how much it cost to deliver one story point and then wrote contracts where clients paid for a package of 500 story points. Management lost it when they found that 500 story points in one project weren't the same value as 500 story points on another project, we had many meetings to fix this. <laughs> imagine, fix. Having, yeah, have, imagine having a manager, a scrum master, a product owner, and a tech lead. You had to answer to all of them and none simultaneously. We paid people who told us whether we were burning down points fast enough. Weren't story points about complexity instead of time? Never mind. I believe in Agile, but this ain't Agile. We brought professional scrum trainers. We paid people from our team to get certified. We tried scrum this way and that other way. We spent years doing it. The result was always the same. It didn't work. Scrum is a cancer that will eat your development team. Scrum is not for developers. It's another tool for managers to feel like they're in control. But the best about Scrum are those who look at you in the eye and tell you, if it doesn't work for you, you are doing it wrong. Scrum is anything that works for your team. Sure it is. Uh, okay, so that's, <laughs> that's quite a rant there. I loved how I remember doing, um, 
And they did this at Yodel, too. This was um, uh, uh, poker for um, estimation. Like, you'll all sit with all the tasks, and everyone would have a bunch of cards for, like, how long they think the task would take. Or in his case, you, you weren't even allowed to say how long you think it takes. You would just assign it story points. And then everyone would throw out their cards at the same time. And it was kind of like, yeah, it was fun. I, I don't even want to say it was fun the first time. It was fun maybe the first two times you throw out cards the first time. But after that, it was just like, so so what So the what's the mechanism there? Is, is it uh, So everyone throws out their cards. Everyone's made a different estimate prediction yeah. on how long it's going to take to do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, is it whoever voted the shortest amount of time, they have to do it? Or you take an <laughs> that, average, or, that would or be what? A, that would be hilarious. <laughs> it's like you're bidding on it. No, no, no. I think what, um, what, what is what is that mechanism called? Where uh, and and you you see it a lot in like insurance and and bidding that yeah. to to know that you're 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 kind of spot on with your estimates. You don't want to win. You want to like mm. consistently be coming in second because you figure whoever bidded the lowest is underbidding. And you don't want to bid so high that you never get it. But if you're always in second place, then you're pretty damn accurate. Now, it means mm. you don't get the business. But uh, in, in terms of, of reliability of your, your estimates. Average. Yeah. I think um, – so I, I think what would happen is uh, if there is a difference of opinion, then you would have to talk and reconcile it. So, like, you'd always be like, oh, if, if I throw out, like, a card that's, like, a lot harder, they'd be like, oh, you think this takes more work? Why do you think that? And then you'd have to answer for yourself. So that was not very, not very pleasant. Mm. Um, and uh, so also, I've never had to do estimating in a formal context like that. Yeah. But that is always my least favorite part of any project. Is e- even if I have a, a, a very clearly laid out plan of you know steps A through Z of how we're going to accomplish this and what you know what's dependent on what and what needs to be done. And then they come and say, okay, so how long do you need to do it? I'm like, well, hell if I know. I've never done it before. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, um, it's, it's, you know, there is kind of an estimation process, but a lot of these ceremonies just go way over the top. Uh, and mm. I think that, that, that poker is one of them. Uh, I think the stand up, the fact that they had to pass around the ball that gets old. Really, You know what the best I'm surprised stand-ups they are? don't require them to have a conch show. Yeah. The, the best stand ups I've been at is, you know, you've got your morning stand ups and it's like four people and you just, Round up with four people. You don't have to pass around the ball with four people. Now, when they let that expand, like at some places, that's where I'm looking at you, Foursquare, to like 15 people, it gets to be kind of like, why are we sitting around? Why are we standing around listening to 15 people? I can't like listen and help every single person. Like, you know, when it's four people, you kind of, everybody can respond to everybody else. That gets to a whole other subject of of what are optimal team sizes. Um, I have opinions on that. We, we recently went through a corporate reorg at work, and, and it's mean that, that, that certain people that were on certain teams are now reshuffled, um, and it's, it's meant that a bunch of our meetings we've, we've basically uh, deep-sixed because uh, it, now that there are you know, people on three different teams from, that were in the meeting before, if we invite all three of those teams and all those people, now we've got 20 people in a meeting that used to be five, and we're, we're going to spend the whole time just telling each other what we're up to and not actually accomplish anything. Um, <laughs> So I, I, yeah. I could just as easily see it going in the opposite direction, though, with that kind of thing. Well, it's OK. Well, that, now we need to have all 20 people in. And so it's going to take us instead of 60 minutes, it's going to take us three hours and we're, we're, we're still not going to be any better off. Right, right. I guess that uh, I'm looking at, uh, you know, the funny one is Scrum of Scrums, where it's like there always does have to be some like if there's an update 
in in these meetings that there always has to be like some um, meta update for like the, the company overall. Uh, but I don't, I, you know, <laughs> I don't know if uh, Scrum of Scrums is that the, sounds like a the, problem for middle managers and not for me. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what the 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 Scrum of Scrums is, uh, unless that's like a weekly Scrum. That's like the bigger. I, I, well, that that's sprint planning meeting. But anyway, um, sprint. Well, actually, one thing that I did like at um, at Wireless was on a team we'd have like these monthly retrospective meetings where we talk about what went well, what didn't go well, and so long as there was a good facilitator on that, I felt like that was kind of helpful. Uh, so. Every once in a while, there's something that, that you could do that's helpful, like a quote ceremony, but it's just like, don't do any of the hokey stuff. Just like, be cool, okay? That's, that's my take on it. Um, I, I, I will call out, uh, so where is it here? Uh, it was number three. Uh, we were prohibited laptops in meetings. So mm -hmm. not always a good thing, but uh, I've, I've, I've seen a couple of things recently about how, uh, what is it, Amazon... Uh, doesn't allow PowerPoints and they have a very mm. specific uh, memo based culture. Uh, and, and I, yeah. I can see perhaps some benefits to, to that kind of an approach. Um, mo mostly because I've seen death by PowerPoint done in so many, so painful ways. Um, yeah. But I, I, I could see how uh, particularly if you use tools like, like a Jira or something like that, not having it in your scrum meeting could kind of be counterproductive. I feel like Scrum Trainers was like the uh, DEI professional of the 2000s. Uh, <laughs> now, have, so hopefully. have you ever had to deal with Six Sigma? Uh, no. What's what's that? So 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 that may have may have been kind of the generation before uh, before Scrum, mm. but uh, it was it was about you know process optimizing, and I don't know if GE originated it, but GE was big into Six Sigma. Um, it, it, it got lampooned, uh, slightly on, on 30 rock, uh, when, uh, when Jack Donaghy came into the picture there, but, uh, yeah. I, it was same thing in, in that, uh, at some companies it was like, well, you, you must within your first two years, get six Sigma certified and you're going to get your green belt and then you get your black belt and you're going to do a project. I, I remember hearing stories from, uh, you know, people I've God. worked with that, that at prior companies that they had a. They had uh, a Six Sigma project, which involved them you know, moving to a new tool. And then they mm -hmm. had a follow-up Six Sigma project, which involved them moving away from that tool because uh, it broke. They, they, they proved that there was value in doing it. And then they proved that actually there's even more value in not doing it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. I, I, I do not follow this, Aaron. Six Sigma sounds very complicated. I, I have uh, mixed feelings about it. Yeah. So I, I was actually talking uh, to an engineer friend the other day about uh, software engineering in the 2000s, about how when we used to use Java and, and Java did not have like certain features. And there were all these like crazy frameworks that you had to work around, like Spring. There was like the Spring framework and it was like, oh, you better learn the Spring framework. You want to put it on your resume. And it's like, nobody cares about that stuff anymore, <laughs> but, and, which is good because I always, I, I, I never, I never liked that stuff. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about this other than, um, you know, <laughs> sometimes you need a process, but uh, don't go overboard. You know, life is about the golden mean. And, uh, well, you, yeah, know, and, and you, you said you, you have positive experiences with, with sprints uh, and, sure. and other pieces of agile. 
Um, so so if, if you're stuck in a world of Scrum, don't 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 abandon all processes, but maybe there's a uh, a middle way. Right. Right. I, that's what I think. Unless, unless there are some people out there who think that there needs to be, who have very strong opinions about how this stuff would work, I'd like to hear it. Localmaxradio at gmail.com if you'd like to weigh in or weigh in on our locals, maximum.locals.com. Uh, Aaron, anything else on, uh, on Scrum? Oh, wait, you know, one more thing before we start. I think there was a clip in, in the HBO show Silicon Valley where they, um, where they lampoon Scrum or they uh, parody Scrum. Oh, I'm Scrum. sure there was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, but then I remember there was like a debate underneath it. Well, what they're showing is not Scrum. Uh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, I mean, like, once you get into the religious wars of like, this is Scrum, this is not Scrum, it's just like, uh, get me out of this meeting. Um, no, no, I do no prefer, true Scrum man. I do prefer Scrum to DEI. I'll say that. <laughs> Just pick your pick your torture. All right, anything anything else before we move on? No, that's all I got. All right, great. Stop doing scrum meme. Should there be? Is there one or no? Oh, I, I haven't been able to find it. But uh. all right, all right. So now we've got a segment. And now the probability distribution of the week. All right. Folks, it is the probability distribution of the week. Uh, in keeping with last episode, 292, and, uh, of course, episode two, 207 from last year, uh, or a couple of years ago, we're going to be talking about probability distributions that you can build over the rational numbers. You know, those are numbers that can be expressed as the ratio between two numbers, like one-half, you know, seven-thirds, all that good stuff. So these are theoretical because most of the probability distributions that we deal with in statistics are either like continuous distribution, like on the real numbers, like the normal distribution, the, the, the curve, or it's just like a discrete distribution, like a rolling of the dice or, you know, the, uh, the Poisson distribution that we went over and, and, and all that. Um, all right. So one of the things that I think could be used, so, so, so these are theoretical, but I like to think about the practical applications that they, they might have. One of the other things that I th think might be able to be used if we were to make a good distribution over the rational numbers is continued fractions. Now, a continued fraction is like a Twitter rant of natural numbers. Uh, <laughs> each, each, uh, each rational number can be made into like a canonical continued fraction. So a continued fraction is like, a plus 1 over B plus 1 over C plus 1 over D plus 1, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so uh, it ends at some point. And so um, eventually it terminates. H how does it work? Uh, well, the idea is like the first number that you pull out in any fraction is like the, the whole number part. So you make the, you make the fraction like if it's 4 and 3 quarters, like the first number would be 4 plus, And then, okay, then 3 quarters. It's like, well then how do you make three quarters into something? Well, it's um, four plus one over four thirds. You just flip it around. Follow me so far? Okay. Right. So when it's four plus three quarters, the fraction part is going to be between zero and one. But when you do one over that, you know, one over four thirds, the, the piece on the bottom is then going to be greater than one. So now you could pull it apart again. And then, uh, and then 
keep going. And by doing this, every single rational number has like a unique continued fractions. There's some way to like repeat a number, but there's like a canonical continued fraction for each uh, uh, for each rational number. So that's a pretty and and it's you know it's not based on like base ten or anything. So it's like a very natural way to uh, to create uh, to uh, to kind of organize uh, um, um, fractions. So uh, and and eventually this terminates at, at the end. So it's like a you know it's it, it, like it might be a plus one over b and then that's it. You know so four and a fourth is a very simple one. Uh, but um, uh, 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 yeah, so it's so it's some kind of like a finite string of of numbers. So. Uh, I think this means that each rational number can be encoded as a sequence of natural numbers. So, for example, like let's take the encoding one, two, three. Okay, so it would be one plus one over two plus one over three. So two plus one over three is two and a third. You know, take one over that, one plus that. It ends up coming out to ten sevens. This is a very hard one to do in audio format. So <laughs> hopefully, hopefully you could tell me if there's any questions along the way. But um, I would say, you know, don't worry about actually understanding it fully in your head. But I'd encourage you to all look it up. All right. So how can this be used to make a probability distribution? But I think you take two distributions over the natural numbers: one for the size of the continued fraction, and the other for the uh, the distribution over the value of the number for each number, and then you could get that you could get that distribution, and I think I think that would be one way to do it, and I don't know what the properties of that would be, but I, I think that would be interesting. But uh, um, uh, another thing that's interesting about that is there's a deep connection between continued fractions and the Fibonacci sequence, uh, so uh, and, and the golden ratio. So how familiar are you with with these things, Aaron? I I would venture to say they cover this at MIT. Y yes, I, I'm, I'm familiar with the Fibonacci sequence and, and I've certainly heard of the golden ratio. I, I had to look it up to, they probably to, cover to it see in, that, probably it that the symbol for it is, is indeed <laughs> yeah. phi, uh, but I ah, didn't remember that off the top of my head. Yeah, yeah. So Fibonacci sequence, for those of you who, uh, who, who forgot, is uh, you know every number is the sum of the previous two numbers. So it starts with 1, 1, and then it goes to 2, and then 2 plus 1 is 3, 2 plus 3 is 8. 5 plus 8 is 13, et cetera, et cetera. So you also want to look at like successive ratios of these. So, you know, a ratio of, of, uh, of uh, consecutive Fibonacci numbers would be like 3 halves, 5 thirds, 8 fifths, 13 eighths, et cetera, et cetera. And so those approach the golden uh, the the golden mean or golden golden ratio like one point six or something like that. I mean, yep. if you do the if you do the opposite um, one, if you do like two thirds, three fifths, five eighths, then it, it it's the point six something something something. It's an irrational number, uh, but uh, those ratios uh, approach these things. So it turns out that those ratios of consecutive Fibonacci sequences always have the same type of continued fraction. It's always in the form. One 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 one, and then it ends with a two. Now you can't end with a one in a continued fraction because if you end with a one, you're simply adding one to the number right next to it. So you might as well just put them together. So it's it's one 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 two. And then if you want to talk about a a infinite continued fraction, the infinite continued fraction that's one 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 repeating forever, 
is the golden ratio. So that seems like it has a pretty special place in the world of uh, continued fractions, um, if that makes sense. So um, I, I, think, I think this is fascinating. And by the way, another interesting thing, like, well, why is this... Um, why is this one, 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 one? What does that have to do with, with Fibonacci? And so you could kind of see it um, in, in a certain sense. Like, um, let's say you have uh, five-eighths, right? Uh, Five-eighths, those are two Fibonacci numbers. Okay, five divided by eight. Um, then what happens when you add one to it? Well, it's one plus five-eighths, and then the one becomes eight over eight, and then... The, uh, when you add that, the, the numerator becomes 5 plus 8. So now you have 13 over 8. So you literally just did the Fibonacci jump right there using arithmetic, which that's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> and, then, and then you take 1 over that, and you, know, you get it back into the original form and all. So I think, yeah, I think you teach this to um, you know, middle school kids, high school kids, and it's, it's a really interesting kind of, kind of mathematical explanation. So... I think there's a world where we can make these types of like Fibonacci sequences more likely as a prior, as a distribution over the rational numbers. Um, I think there's something here. I'm not really sure. Uh, but what's interesting is there is something called like a periodic continued fraction, which is a continued fraction where like a certain number or sequence of numbers repeats infinitely. And so that's what the golden ratio has. It's an infinite repetition of ones. Um, and... You could think of any rational number ending with an infinite repetition of zeros. Um, and it turns out that every number that can be expressed in this form is actually, uh, is actually a quadratic number. So that means like it's, it's irrational, but it could have like a square root or something like that. So maybe one repeated would be something that would be very likely in this system because, you know, you, you could have some system where you're, some probability distribution where you're like, you know, you have two finite sequences of numbers, the stuff at the beginning that's not repeated and the stuff at the end that is repeated. And then each of those would have uh, probability distributions on them. And so if the stuff at the beginning is empty, that's going to be a pretty likely one, right? Because you have a certain probability of ending. And then if the, the repeated one is just the digit one, that repeats over and over again, that's short. So by what's, what's that law, Occam's razor, that's going to be a very likely one. And so that would make the golden ratio very likely. So it would put certain quadratic numbers in like a higher plane than others. And that could be a, a really interesting way to like categorize the, um, you know, the, the likelihood of numbers or the uh, interestingness of numbers. I, I think there is something some really cool mathematical explorations that could be done here. Interesting. All right. Yeah, that's all, that's all <laughs> I have to say about it. Uh, um, any, any questions for the class, uh, Aaron? <laughs> I, I, I haven't fully grasped this one, so I'm going to have to think on it a little. All right. All right. Well, you got questions, go on the locals, maximum.locals.com or email us localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. To support The Local Maximum, sign up for exclusive content and our online community at Maximum.Locals.com. The Local Maximum is available wherever podcasts are found. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe on your podcast app. 
Also, check out the website with show notes and additional materials at localmaxradio.com. If you want to contact me, the host, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. Have a great week. Feel the power.